Zeke, you're a little bit off today. What's up? <clears throat> Stomach's been uh, giving me issues. Mm. That's it? Yeah. Knees hurt, too. <laughs> that's, that's all you got? Yeah. Oh, I know why your knees hurt, but that's weekend. a different story. <laughs> no, like, literally, I don't know. Had some barbecue and stuff last night, but like all day I've just been like nauseated and like cramped. <laughs> did your aunt Flo come to visit? No, but I did take a good four poos. Four? I think so. What is wrong with what you? You are the fattiest skinny guy I know. I take two to three every single day, though. So Two to three? I'll probably get a little more in for it when I get home. This is the worst cold open we've ever done. <laughs> I'm regular. It's good for you. I'm regular. Do you, what, do you eat a shit ton of fiber one? Sometimes. I have no response. I actually used to eat fiber one, especially in my younger days before I'd go out, just because it would absorb the alcohol so you could drink more and be less drunk. So that was like my pre-going out to the bars meal was just like a few handfuls of fiber one. Drinking hacks with Zeke. And plus, when, when the liquid hits it, it kind of swells out in the stomach. You feel full. Therefore, you're not eating late night. Drink more and eat less. Whoa! <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> Keys to being skinnier and single. <laughs> Everyone, my name is John Edwards, and with me is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. Say hello to the folks, Zeke Baker. Hello, hello, hello. You're not leaving me with a lot today. You said say hello. I know. So you <laughs> said hello. I said it three times. Oh, that's a lot. That is three times the hello, but... That's about like when you tell your kid not to do something and they say it again. How, you say don't do it and they say it again. How about let me say how are you? I'm okay. I mean, when I say say hello to the folks, I'm I'm say hello, but I'm also kind of like how are you? How you been? How's your week been? What have you been up to? Uh, you know this and that. <laughs> the, you're being so descriptive. Like, what do you what What's the secret? Oh, I just have very little. I don't know. Hey, we're two kids. Weekends are uh, more of a blur now than they ever were. Well, I did go to the fair. And I don't even do anything overly fun half the time. That sounds like a country music song right there. More than a blur than they ever were. I mean, they are. (laughs) You go to work on Monday, someone's like, how was your weekend? Good? What'd you do? I don't know. I, I went to the fair, and that was just... A blur. I mean, she ran around, saw all the animals. Yeah. The worst part ever, though, was that she thought you were one of them. No, there was, you know, the mules. Let's just say the mules were a little excited. That'll make you feel inadequate when you see a mule sitting there in all his glory, just kind of standing up, head up, and he's excited. Well, they didn't remember you and think they were stump broke or something, did they? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Daddy, why did you walk up to the stump and they all backed up? All right, 
Before I assume we, you know what stump broke means. Yes, I do. <laughs> and I'm trying to get us to move on. <laughs> Before we introduce our guest who is, is here, I just want to let everybody know that we are sponsored by CastCartel.com. They are the largest online premium spirits marketplace. They're kind of like the Amazon for the spirits industry. There are retailers that go on the site. They sell their stuff on the site. So it's not actually Cast Cartel. They are a facilitator for getting people to actually buy stuff. They do their best to recommend price points, but all the prices are set and dictated by the local licensed retailers. So they're probably not the place you're going to go and, and find a pick or something like that. But it's not just allocated releases or limited releases, but they have vodka, they have tequila, they have the stuff that, that you actually need shipped to your house. They are changing the industry and setting a new baseline of how premium spirits are marketed and sold. So go ahead and find them, castcartel.com. You can also find them on Instagram at castcartel and see for yourself. All right. It's a very cool night. We have been hanging out and sharing pours with this man for a little bit of time now. I got to see him Saturday night, but Shane Merriam from Garrison Brothers Distillery in High, Texas is our guest here tonight. Shane, say hello to the folks and do better than Zeke. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> he did four. four. <laughs> it's like Price is Right. 901, Bob. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> I should have undercarded you and just said $1. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you for joining us. It, it's always good to have a guest in the studio and... and when you said you were coming to town and we ended up talking to each other and we said, yeah, we should get together and sit down and have a conversation. Super pumped to have you. And, and thanks for coming. Absolutely. No, Nashville has been a blast so far. Tennessee is a ton of fun. Last time I was here was a couple of years ago for Thanksgiving. I did a uh, little private tour down at uh, oh, a little distillery. We've probably all heard of Jack Daniels. You know, they just got a one or two whiskeys coming out. And then I had a, <laughs> Maybe you guys know where I had my Thanksgiving dinner. I had a fried bologna sandwich on Broadway. At Robert's. Yes, that store. Somebody with a paper menu and a yeah. PBR. And uh, it was a damn tasty fried bologna sandwich for Thanksgiving, I'll tell you that much. I will tell you that since I moved to Nashville, I've lived in Nashville since 2008 and was in Kentucky before that. And Robert's is my favorite honky-tonk. And, and they keep getting... I used to love going to Paradise Park. And now Paradise Park is the downtown sporting club, and you could throw axes and shit like that. But well, it's not Paradise Park anymore, is it? It's not. No, it's okay. not Paradise. Paradise Park had an astroturf that when you would <laughs> to stop step, up the puke. Well, no, but when you would step, <laughs> it would squish, like or squish, like you would feel your foot squishing in the astroturf. But they had the best damn cheddar tots. Uh, so after you'd been drinking on Broadway, you yeah. go over to Paradise Park and get these cheddar tots. I mean, Nashville now has like Florida Georgia Line bar, and they had Kid uh, Rock's bar, yeah. Luke Bryant's bar, I, Patsy Cline, Johnny Cash's diner. I don't think Johnny Cash ever cooked, did he? No. I don't think he had a diner. They said the movie. Remember, he tried to cook once in the movie, and he almost burnt crap I down. Think he but, was he was cooking hot knives, wasn't yeah. he? <laughs> but. If they get rid of Roberts, I will cry. No lie, I will cry. Like, that is the... Oh, I'm sure that's a staple. Yeah. They can't get rid of that. It's funny because we were talking about Austin before we actually got on, and there are so many similarities 
from oh, yeah. Austin to Nashville. Oh, yeah. But I think those similarities were more like seven years ago. Because after all these country people came in and... It, and well, Broadway, Broadway in 36 <clears throat> is the same as you got your Beale Street, you got your Strip in Vegas. I mean, almost every city has their, uh, their tourist trap. Road. But I'm it, saying Austin, Bubba Gump, Shrimp, and you're yeah, but queuing up for all Austin was still smart enough. Even when I was back there years ago, they block off the streets downtown. Oh, do they not do that here? No, they still don't. Not even Broadway. They now took out a lane on the weekend, so they they've expanded into one lane on each side and put barricades up. But they still haven't closed down the street. I mean, why not just close it off? I yeah, I, I gotta agree with that, and especially with them party buses rolling around. I mean, I, I'm gonna like getting out of here tomorrow, if for the only reason that I don't have to see another Woo girl for a few days. <laughs> you watch how I met your mother. Oh, you goddamn right. It is. <laughs> but it's the, the the thing that I was saying though is is Nashville has the stage, which is a bar. Austin has the stage. Nashville has a dueling piano bar. Mm -hmm. Austin has, like, I'm not saying it's similar in the way that the Las Vegas Strip was similar, the way that Beale Street was similar. I'm saying Austin and Nashville were the same damn street. Like, the mm. even the bars were the same. Well, they're in most cities. Tempe, Arizona has dueling piano bars. No, but they don't have the stage. You got e they have stages in bars. Yeah, but it's not... It was literally like an exact freaking copy. Uh, I don't know if I'd go where, that far. where the Bud Light and the Michelob Ultra flow. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I landed super late at about midnight by the time I checked into my hotel and I knew I wasn't going to be able to get a decent drink anywhere. So I was like, all right, I'll walk down to Broadway and I would see Whiskey Row. Well, I must be able to get a shot and a beer in there. Well, I could have got a shot of, shot of Jim Beam and a Michelob Ultra, but nothing much. But then I went across the street to I don't know where, just because the music was all right. And they had some Tennessee Brew Works and some Buffalo Trace. I was like, all right, this is, this is a beer and a shot. This is what I was looking for. Were you on 2nd or it Broadway? It was on the south side of the street. So the Whiskey Row, I crossed the street. I just heard heard some music and walked up the steps and grabbed a seat and had a beer and a shot. And I didn't even know Whiskey in. Row existed. Well, there was a place, I think Whiskey Row might be where Decades used to be. I could be wrong. Decades was an 80s and 90s like dance club, but it wasn't like... Definitely more your scene than mine. Oh, you know, sometimes I just got to dance. Long intro. It's Monday. Shane, thank you so much for coming. My and pleasure. You are here from Garrison Brothers. We have a few things that you've brought with us, and we've been sipping on them already. So why don't you tell everyone what you brought, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about these slowly but surely as we... Well, we, we came out. Uh, I had the, the good fortune of uh, meeting you, like you said, uh, over on the weekend at the Southern Whiskey Society Festival. And, and I must say, what a, um, that was probably one of the, my favorite festivals I've done so far this year. The, the venue was absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. The fact that there was some really fantastic chefs from not only just in Nashville but uh, all over Alabama and uh, and was what the from Seattle even and, yeah. and Louisville and the food was really, like did you have that bourbon soy glazed deviled egg with chorizo from Keeneland that was, <laughs> was ridiculous that was the chef at Keeneland <laughs> that did that but Ooh. i will tell you Katie Kloss from Husk oh, had an amazing shrimp and grits 
and I was talking to them for a little bit, but you know, one of the best dang things was Owen from Hardy's in Franklin. That duck had Hardy's. Hardy's, but he did a duck biscuit yeah. and it had this duck fat butter. You talking about the drive through though? Hardy's. I'm talking about Hardy's, yeah. like the guy that the, in the Days of Thunder, the backup, yeah. drove yeah. the car for. Yeah, yeah. that it's was like Kurt Wheeler. Howard Kurt Johnson's Wheeler, yeah. more redneck cousin. <laughs> no, that was Kurt Wheeler because Robin's racing. Yeah, I caught that about two a.m. the other day. So it was fresh. <laughs> I like my engines in that car, so that's what those folks are pushing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you that Hardy's. It was a I mean, chicken is something biscuit. they have on the menu, or was somebody just no. bored? He put this honey. What was it? A honey sorghum, like he like I had sauce time on to top of run it. Run and grab before my table got flooded with folks, so I, I didn't spend a lot of time reading the menus. But that one was uh, it was more than a mouthful. It was it was good food, especially when I read Hardee's. Well, I, well like I mean, we all here. know Pooh Bear loves honey, but we've been talking <laughs> too long, <laughs> not about whiskey. So so but, let's. Yeah, anyway, what we brought out to the festival, we brought out our uh, our 2018 small batch, and then we brought out uh, one of our 2018 single barrel selections, and then um, I just had the, the good fortune of uh, e-meeting uh, Tarek over at uh, Elixir, just, what, 10 miles south of Franklin, and uh, went over to his liquor store, and if that is not uh, a treasure hunter's dream in there for stuff that he's got, and every bottle's open and everything like that, and he had a bottle of our fall 2014, so I figured I'd... Uh, Buy it and uh, crack her open and bring her on in so we can really talk about, uh, you know, how our distillery has is, is grown in our kind of young history that we have so far at Garrison Brothers. I have to say, Tarek is one of our good, good friends. But when you go to Elixir Spirits, it's kind of like you're on an episode of American Pickers. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're just digging through the shelves and you're like, how much? Have you ever watched American Pickers? The guy lives in Nashville. And they go through the barn, and there's just a bunch of stuff in there. And, it, and then you dig through and say, well, how much How much will you want for this? I'll give you 50 bucks. There's a diamond in the rough everywhere. And there's, he's, he's got every bottle open. So he's like, you want to try this? You want to try that? You want to try this? When else can you get an opportunity to do that? He is a very, very generous guy. But I, I have to say, we've been sipping on these a little bit. And I'm interested to do a side-by-side. This was a 2014, right? That was a 2014 fall. So way back in the day, we used to do two small batch releases a year. One fall, one spring. I've tasted this on the shelf before, but I've never cracked one open. So when I cracked this open and saw that it was actual cork compared to what we're doing with our synthetic synthetic corks, I I learned something new about our stuff every single day. So that was a ton of fun. So I'm interested in almost doing a side-by-side of Please. the 2014 versus the 2018 because it's something that we were talking about before you came in and we were talking to you as we were walking over. It's like my experience with Garrison Brothers previously has always been it's one of those whiskeys that's going to put hair on your chest. It's not a casual drinker's drink. Big, bold, 94-proof bourbon. And even when you're you're driving through Texas and you see our billboards, like I said before, it does have the hashtag, drink like an adult, because this is not meant to shoot. And I always tell people, if you want to start shooting this, I want to hang out with you, because you're, <laughs> you're a pretty heavy drinker. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've got a few subtle differences that we're doing uh, out in Texas. As you know, nobody's reinventing the wheel when it comes to fermentation. Nobody's reinventing the wheel when it comes to distillation. Um 
we're just doing things that you can't do in, in Kentucky and Tennessee, and, and they're doing things that we can't do in Texas. And it's really all about celebrating uh, where you are and celebrating terroir. I mean, wineries have been doing this for centuries. Scotland's been doing this for how many hundreds of years? Why is it that it's taken America this long to catch up to seeing how much different terroirs there is and how much different it's going to be taking different barrels and at different places we got super exciting distilleries distilling at seven thousand feet right now i don't know if you've ever been camping and tried to boil water at seven thousand thousand feet i don't know how they're doing any distillation out there but <laughs> everything we've done has been uh, pretty consistent to us we we always do a sweet mash not a sour mash and so we start start to finish use all our grains and each and every time we're making it in there and then uh, we put a vintage on our bottles instead of an age statement. Putting on an age statement is irrelevant unless you're going to be really comparing that to other other distilleries out in Texas. Four years in Texas and that scorching heat is going to be way different than four years in Scotland, four years in Kentucky, four years in Tennessee, Japan, wherever. Well, and that's something I wanted, not not to cut you off, but that's something I wanted to bring up. And I, I figured we would get there in this conversation. But let's go here now. Sure. I don't think you can age in Texas seven eight you know even five years i think once you're at five years you're probably getting what are you getting in the summer 100 to 150 we're going from about 115 then the day down to 40 at night sometimes and so that diurnal shift that we get it causes that spirit inside the barrel to go in and out like there's no tomorrow and as you know the wood does act like a sponge i mean when we first started we did start with you know all the blessings in the world from the folks in kentucky and uh, they gave us all the help and knowledge so when we started with those first original 53 gallon barrels we filled them all up, put them in the rickhouse. Our rickhouses are all single story, six barrels up, six barrels deep, and uh, hid the key on each other because we knew that um, we are going to rock in there and just start drinking whatever we could. <laughs> so after six months, um, Dan Garrison and Charlie Garrison, they went into that rickhouse and they saw that all those barrels were empty. So Charlie Garrison, being the, the younger brother, sat down with a bottle of Maker's Mark, started sobbing his eyes out that he just lost $3.2 million and uh, got shit-faced on a bottle of Maker's Mark, whereas Dan saw this as a puzzle, said, well, why did this happen? There's got to be a reason for this happening. So he called up the folks in Kentucky and said, we just had a pretty severe problem. And folks in Kentucky answered the same thing that you're going to hear say a lot. Like, I don't know. It's never happened in Kentucky. So he figured out <laughs> that it was that that shift that was making those barrels expand that they kind of just leaked right out, just right out the cracks in between the staves. And so he had to find uh, wineries and winemakers. Well, how do you barrels survive in that extreme heat? And so we found that by getting um, different treated barrels from different cooperages, a lot smaller with much thicker uh, staves, they were able to withstand. Uh, we'll still have, you know, few soldiers that uh, they get left behind every now and then, some that get over-oaked that will just let evaporate into the sunset and we'll never touch them again so we don't have to bottle them and pay taxes on it if it's just not good <laughs> enough. But uh, for the most part, those those 15 and 30-gallon barrels seem to work. And we're using four different cooperages as well. We're using uh, Kelvin out of Louisville, Black Swan, Black Market up in uh, Minnesota. And I just found out uh, last week we are using a fourth one. So um, it gives us nice little different nuances because these different cooperages prepare their charred oak a little bit differently than, than each other. And uh, it, it, was, it gives us a little bit of protection as well. That is one of the things that I would have never thought about if I was starting. I just get same way most people do when they're starting a business. I'm going to buy in bulk to keep my costs down. But what would happen if a, if a huge giant like a Bacardi or Pernod Ricard was to roll in and buy that cooperage? 
we'd be out of business. Yeah. Our, our flavor profile would change drastically. So you're hedging your bet. Exactly. When you talk about all that, that whiskey evaporating, I mean, we've learned, we've had on some people that used to run Cooperages and, and we've, Dan Gardner from Four Roses kind of started us down this road and then Greg Snyder kind of took it over. But I would have to think you guys would be looking for a tight grain stave over, you know, a, a, a bigger grain. You want those, you don't want the whiskey to expand too much into the wood because you know it's going to do that already from 110 to, to exactly, 40. Exactly. We're doing a 14% angel share. So, I mean, if you do the math literally and do 14% over four years, that's down to 16 gallons. We're not yielding 16 gallons in a 30-gallon barrel because you got the devil's cut. And I don't care what any of those larger brands say. You never get that devil's cut back. That's in the wood. That's in there for good. So we've seen some barrels after four years, 15-gallon barrels yield as little as um, 13 bottles at cast strength. Um, the highest <laughs> that I've ever purchased that I've ever seen on a shelf was a store, Twin Liquors in San Antonio. They did 147.7 cast strength they got 13 bottles out of a 15 gallon barrel after four years i bought one dayton our, our bourbon evangelist out in san antonio got the other one store had 11 left you could take a flashlight and shine it through this bottle and barely see through it i haven't even cracked it open yet it's on my shelf at home i'm afraid <laughs> that's a big one but you know you it's it's really funny how there's just so many different things and just what mother nature is doing out there like i said we've got our our barrel barn uno which is uh our more fancier nicer first one show and tell one we've got a bar in there when our volunteers come out to the distillery and do some bottling with us that's where we have lunch our chef joseph is just the balls his his food is just so good he did these sticky ribs the other day that i still dream of but it's a ton of fun and this is uh where donis taught our master distiller he can leave those doors open it's at the highest point of our ranch and have the wind ripping through and that's going to seriously affect the different aging even in something 100 yards away in a more kind of airplane hangar with big hangar doors open. It just doesn't get that much to the wind. So uh, we've also got uh, shipping containers. It kind of looks like if you were to take a helicopter view around our ranch, it's like you took a bunch of Lego and your kid threw it on the <laughs> yeah. ground. And they're all in different – it's all, you know, that, that two-by-eight Lego piece? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so it's like those, those containers. And he's got some in the shade. He's got some in the sun. He's got some twisted this way, that way. Uh, you can open the doors to the containers. You can leave them sealed up and closed. So we're not doing any temperature control. I could not even imagine what the air conditioning tab in one of these things would be. But you can still, you know, have that. I'll let some air in. I'll let some air out. And, uh, you know, we went out. I remember the first time I came out with a group of bartenders from Vegas. And uh, Don has hopped us on the back of the tractor. And we went out to these containers. And he popped one open and it was just like a tidal wave of angel shared tsunami. It smacked you in the face and then it sucked you into the container. It was like this big void and oh, it smelled so good. But I have to think though that you guys are getting a lot, like are you taking all that data and putting it somewhere? Because I have to think that you have all these different conditions. Like the, the ship Buffalo Trace does, where they have that whole experimental distillery. They're able to block it off and be like, I want it to be this temperature in this one, this temperature in this one, and we're going to simulate wind and do all that kind of stuff. You guys have all of these different conditions mm -hmm. on your ranch. Yep. It's a unique place in the sense of other distilleries don't get that. I think you have some 
that go up, you know, there, there's a lot in Michigan or Illinois that are popular. Temperatures are going to kind of be one thing. Kentucky, Tennessee, you know they're going to kind of be the other. But Texas, I mean, we really have you guys and Treaty Oak to go off of. It, it's funny you ask that question because now that I think of it, I've only seen one laptop <laughs> on the ranch, and that's Chris Feller, our bottling manager. And I think he uses it mostly for email and orders and then also for the Spotify to play the music for our volunteers. <laughs> uh, we've got a big old whiteboard in the distillery. So to answer that question, how do we keep track? That's You need to spend a day in the mind of Donis Todd to keep track of how he does that and how he knows what's going on in each barrel in each rickhouse. Um, but we, I feel like the data would be very valuable that you guys are getting. I think it would, but at the same time, you've got to remember that everything we're making has the exact same mash bill. So everything we're doing is 74% white panhandle corn. Everything we're doing is 15% red rinner wheat. Everything we're doing is 11% malted barley. It's a sweet mash, so we're starting from start to finish, brand new each and every time, swinging for the fences, trying to make a better and better bourbon each and every time. And then we're putting it in the barrels and the same yeast every time, same hard, hard limestone aquifer water that we're sitting on. And we're letting Mother Nature do all the hard work for us. So it's it's not a matter of us trying to dictate by a certain mash bill in a certain story in the rickhouse. We're just letting it out there. And when we taste it, or when Donis gets to taste it, I very rarely get to go out and have that fun with them. <laughs> but um he won't even blink at a barrel till it's four years old. And when it's four years old, he'll taste him. And it's not like, you know, he'll be sitting there with a calendar like, you know, this row turns four tomorrow. I'm going to go out and try all four of them. It's when the, when the bourbon's ready, it tells us it's ready and we'll bottle it either into our small batch or into our single barrel. And even some of the other ones um, you've heard about, our Estacado, which is a secondary finish in a port barrel, our Honeydew. Our uh, Balmeray, which uh, we've just got some awards for, which is a double oaked. Um, they're all the exact same mash bill. And that's where I get really geeky to it when you have especially a few different single barrels lined up next to each other. Like how different these flavors are when they all started their infancy, the exact same white dog yeah. in that barrel. And I geek out to that. I want to apologize before Zeke asked a question that we did review Balmeray and we pronounced it Balmaria. I just want to apologize, apologize to the that. state of Texas that we're just some dumb Tennesseans and, and we don't know how to a pronounce it. A lot of people shit. think it's a scotch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Zeke, you, you were going to ask something. No, I just wonder about uh, how big a factor humidity or lack thereof plays into that, especially with the evaporation and loss. <laughs> like I can literally two nights ago, and we had, we've had storms all weekend here, temps dropped right after the storm. Every window I had in the house was literally just damp, covered with dew from you know that whole pressure change, humidity, etc. I know out west there is a lack of humidity. Does that also factor into you know your angels and devils, devil share, and possibly what's falling back into that barrel and you know decreasing a yield? It certainly does, and it certainly decreases the yield, but it certainly ups the proof. When yeah. we're, we're filling our, all our barrels, at least when I was out there filling our barrels, I was filling them all at 124 proof. So uh, as you know, when you're when you're making bourbon, it's very similar to Texas barbecue. You want to distill that low and slow. You want to get those flavors out there. So when I was out there, 
uh, my first day with one of our distillers, Russell Hartman. I mean, I was averaging about 134 to 137, give or take, you know, what significant portion of the, of the, the hearts that was. And then uh, when we proof it down, we actually proof it down with Texas rainwater that we collect right off the rickhouse roofs. And uh, we save that. So no pesticide, no herbicides. We do a little treatment to it and um, just put it right in there. We have enough, I believe... I believe Donna said we have enough in reserve for six months. And then he even said that if there is some severe thing where there is a drought, that we're just going to stop making bourbon because, you know, helping out our neighbors and helping out the farms and helping out everybody is a little bit more important than, yeah. than making bourbon. And I thought that was a really, really cool thing to say. Um, but after proofing it down with rainwater, we proof it down to 124. Um, again, that was really cool. They do it by weight. They've got an app. Have you guys seen this app? They got an app on their phone which will tell them by weight how much water to add to get it down to 94 proof when we're proofing it for bottle and to get it down to 124 proof when we're proofing it to barrel. I thought that was super cool. I need to figure There's that out. There's an app. I'll ask Russell. I'll text you. And so we fill the barrels and then we're always going to get a higher proof unlike say if you're in a, an incredibly humid area like Scotland or like Ireland where you might be filling your barrel at 130, 140, but it's coming out at 110. So they're losing alcohol. We're losing water. And I think that's what makes ours a little bit spicier and a little bit obviously hotter you're going to get that with the alcohol so that's that's a benefit i mean the 14 percent angel share is you know mother nature is a bitch out there but i think she helps us make some pretty darn good bourbon what about the char so knowing that you guys are going to lose a lot mm -hmm. do you almost char it less to make sure that it's not 53 seconds so Every Cooper's that we use has a different method of, uh, I mean, all, all the wood's coming from the Ozarks. We know that. It's all American oak. We know that. It's all been seasoned for two to four years. Um, I haven't had the opportunity yet to go out and speak to the to our Cooperages firsthand yet. I'm really excited to do that. But with different sizes and different everything, we don't want to get into this. Is it a number three, number four, number five? Because everybody's got an opinion or an argument on that is 53 seconds. You can't argue with that. Do you just, all toast before or no? Yeah. Yeah. It goes in there and does, I, I believe I, you could call me out on that for being wrong, but I do we're, believe we're slowly, but surely becoming experts on, on barrels. I think I we're going to have a, we're going to have a side gig at, at a Cooperage at some point. Oh, they're incredible. <laughs> the, 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 that, I mean, that's a lost art. That's incredible. I've actually got a friend of mine, from Vancouver who went over to Scotland and became one of Diageo's, I believe she's the first female Cooper working for Diageo and a little Canadian girl out of Vancouver. And I was like, that is a dope job. <laughs> like, I don't know how you did that. Frankly, I don't know if you've been to Scotland, how you understand half the words coming out of their mouths when everybody's drinking. Going back to this, Zeke, I'm going to go to you for a second. So which one are you on right now? Are you on the, the fall 2014 release? Well, I have all of them. Okay. And I've kind of been going back and forth. Sure. And going back to what I said to you before, in the sense of every time I've had Garrison Brothers in the past. This 2014, I'm not going to lie, it's rough. But the 2018 is not. And it's still got yep. characteristics of what I would expect from a Garrison Brothers. But that 2018, it's, it's just amazing like how much you guys have changed in those four years. It's just... It's a, how we've learned, I believe. It's... it's I mean, <clears throat> I, I wish that... You know, our distillers can can be out here because, I mean, really, I can't take credit for 
any of their pain. Oh no! Great job! Hard you're you're filling like barrels. That. You said, but uh, I, I I climbed in a still once. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was hot as balls. I don't want to do that anytime soon. I I always laughed at you know. These posh people go to go to saunas and they pay for that kind of heat. I'm like, anytime you want to save money by going to the spot of the Four Seasons, you can come on out and clean one of our stills. It's just as hot. You think you think I could lose some weight? <laughs> See, there it would be more productive though because there's no humidity. <laughs> All the water comes off of you. In the South, it just sticks to you. Yeah. The funny thing to me is that we don't talk about color. Nine times out of ten, when people sit there and they put the glass up and they go. Well, it has an amber hue. Um, Zeke and I are kind of like, looks like whiskey to us. Mm -hmm. The only time we actually mention color is if there's some defined, it's super light or it's super dark. Secondary finish, you add a little magenta or something. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that the small batch is the darkest out of all three of these. And, And I found that to be... Interesting. Well, that could be, I mean, when we get to the single barrel, I'm going to do my guess on which cooperage that barrel came from. I had a, a really fun time with Donis at a seminar that we did for the USBG chapter in Houston where we had uh, we had our small batch and we had two different single barrels. And then he was drinking one, I was drinking the other, and he's going, oh, spicy. And I'm saying chocolatey what are you talking and there was like oh we're drinking then we swap glasses then oh yeah spicy chocolatey and right away he knew which barrel which single barrel which cooperage that came out of because he knew the characteristics coming from that particular cooperage so that one was a lot of fun so i'm gonna have to assume that the reason that our small batch being a combination of all the cooperage barrels came out there which is this one was probably a particular lighter one because i mean as you know and all your listeners know you're not allowed to add any coloring into your bourbon like you know the cheating scots that i'll add as much as i want and make it as dark as i want and make you think that it's richer than it is <laughs> well unfortunately there are still u.s distilleries that do that and somehow uh get away with it it just doesn't get to be called bourbon yeah well there's also people doing cinnamon and peanut butter but let's not get into that hey <laughs> all i gotta tell you is that peanut butter whiskey we thought we were gonna hate it we thought we were going to hate it and we did a show around it come to find out the difference between fire i, I will defend screwball <laughs> I've got into fights. I wasn't going to name names. No, I, I will just, I mean, that's the only peanut butter whiskey there is. I, I love he said he got into fights. John's a pretty big dude. I I, uh, I got into verbal fights with friends over Screwball because I defended it. And they were like, it's just, not, I'm like, it's two-year MGP. The difference between Fireball and Screwball is Screwball or Fireball is not whiskey. Fireball has nothing that is whisk, quote unquote whiskey about it. Well, there's right? glycol in it too, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's everything about Fireball is wrong. I mean, when it's Ignite the Night, that's because you're, that's their slogan, Ignite the Night. Is it really? Yeah. Jesus. But Screwball is I've actually. I've never looked at a ball that closely. <laughs> to know their slogan. I, I, see, I see lots of them. I have a B&B. Oh, all right. But <laughs> Zeke and I used to ignite the night. That's what, that's what my dad used to do with Boy Scouts around the fire with a can of bees. They'd ignite the night a different way. <laughs> Zeke and I used to 
to play a game because we used to record at the B&B all the time. And we used to play a game, what did his uh, renters leave? So we, <laughs> we would just figure out, like, we would open the fridge and then we would talk about it on the podcast. Like, well, they left. And then we would drink. Sometimes there would be, like, uh, if, if it was a bachelorette party, they would leave these, like, spiked you know it's like a spiked seltzer or whatever it is and and we we drink it it would be our side pour did you bring the side pour back tonight z maybe maybe Maybe. you got a side pour going on maybe you allowed to say what it is are you being lira jenkins from flight club (laughs) (laughs) we all love a uh a good sticker oh Oh, man That's See, now one. I just, now you said that, now I just tasted peanut butter. Now it's in my mind. It's <laughs> but funny how that works, right? I know, right? I, that's why in tastings, whenever I do it, I hate to lead. And, and I did this back, you know, in my time doing doing wine for, for years and years and years. It's like, it's like, what do you say? There aren't any wrong answers. What do you get? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, okay, maybe if you say blueberry, I might say wrong. but But it's really about... You know, just getting people out of their shells and what are you tasting? I mean, if you're tasting something and, and the person in the room goes, tastes like my, my grandmother's basement. I said, you know what? Fantastic. Now, I've never been near grandmother's house, so I don't know what that smells like. Is it is it musty? Is it potpourri? Is it really like break it down, break it down? And when you get people to break it down so that everybody in the room is on the same page. Musty, some mothballs, some real cold exactly. cinder block or some old wood that hadn't been dusted in a while. It's when you hear those words, like, you know, especially with like Islas and stuff like that, Band-Aid, everybody's like, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about, even though that's the weirdest description of the yeah. word. And oh, no. You say Band-Aid, everybody goes, oh, you're talking about scotch. But we try to do relatable tasting notes because we're not going to sit here and be like, I get marzipan. Mm. No, who the hell knows what marzipan tastes like? I you use know? that word all the time. <laughs> do you, have you had it? It's Yeah, it's a nice, heavy almondy. Yeah. Probably more almond than... Uh, <laughs> You know, but nobody knows what friggin' marzipan is. Stop using that word. You're better than that. The uh, all the people that you're go, just telling me your love for sweets, and you're not going to incorporate marzipan into that. No, I I understand almond. It's like people. But is it cooked almond? Is it baked almond? Yeah. I mean, I could go to a Spanish deli and get almond or olive stuff with almonds, and that's all. Way it's different. like people that say oh, they're going to socialize something almond, to you. Baked almond. There's all different kinds. <laughs> <laughs> an olive stuffed with an almond? Absolutely. <laughs> God. Yeah, I was gonna, it's like people that say, like, instead of I'm going to email you, it's like, let me socialize that to the group. Oh, that's yeah, what I, I think. I, I've never heard that one. But that's what I think of when I hear marzipan <laughs> and anise. And, no, nah, you know. but I think anise is a good one. I mean, it's when you're saying pepper. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, green pepper, red pepper, jalapeno, or, or apple, green apple, red apple. There's so many different. Zeke thinks everything's like kudzu syrup. Because there's a heavy barley note to it. You have yet to bring me some kudzu syrup. It's okay. We got to find it sometime. Well, Can you, you put it on your pancakes? You're good at searching Amazon. It's only, yeah. been, <laughs> it, it's only been three years, and I haven't had kudzu syrup yet with you. I haven't had it in a long time. As we go through this, let, let's get Please. back to the whiskey here. Again, the 2014, I mean, it's it's a little rough around the edges in the sense that I feel like 
you're still figuring stuff out at this point about the heat. When did you all open? Let's let's go there and, and talk so, a little bit more about the origins. I mean, origins was back in uh, late '90s. Um, Dan Garrison was was working uh, in an office, and um, I mean, the way Charlie always says the story is that one way or another, my older brother was going to have his name on his shirt, whether that meant a Garrison name or an inmate number. He was going to have his name on his shirt. You know, by hook or by crook. And so um, he got into the um, software and software writing uh, industry and uh, struck it big time, struck it rich, and then uh, was one of those kind of, you know, back in the the bubble in that same time, uh, overnight uh, gajillionaire kind of things. But as you know, in some of these companies that start up, you're not allowed to cash out for a certain amount of time. So he was worth that, you know, in, in ones and zeros in a bank somewhere. But you know, the only thing he can do is go buy a big old set of tires for his truck. That's all he can do. And so, um, and you got to wait six months until that window exactly. opens up. And then so, it's never the price it was yeah. when it went on the street. So, a few months prior to that going on, um, there was a little company you might have heard of in Houston called Enron. Well, these guys end up going belly up, and uh, these guys ended up being the only customer for their software. So all of a sudden, oh, from hero to zero, uh, I mean, his software had obviously nothing to do with you know their shady yeah. <laughs> nonsense. It was just their their tracking system or something. Um, and then. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden he, he's, you know, ground zero and doesn't know what to do. And the IRS comes knocking on the door and says that you owe us $160,000 for, you know, the commodities. He's like, well, I, I, I never sold him. He's like, you still owe tax on the value. Um, I still to this day don't know how that worked. That but. doesn't make sense because it, if it's the stock <sighs> yeah. that he owns. But. That's you're only going to pay capital gains because you're going to have the stock as a value. I, I doesn't yeah. make sense to me right so, now. So that that's what happened. And so he went to all his friends and family and, and he scrounged up $60,000 and said, uh, went to the IRS with an envelope and said, you got two options. You can either take this and wipe my debt free and clear because there's no way he's going to declare bankruptcy because he knew he was an entrepreneur and wanted to start a new business or... I'm going to take this $60,000 and drink myself oblivious on the Kentucky bourbon trail to every last nickel's gone. So the IRS said, don't be so hasty. Like, well, we'll accept the check and we'll absolve your debt and everybody's fine and Danny and we'll go our separate ways. So, you know, Dan being a, you know, a very responsible husband and father, you know, he did That's what pretty, anybody I mean, else let's... would do. And he went to the Kentucky bourbon trail and got shit faced for a couple of years. <laughs> That is pretty interesting, and that that is a good PSA for everybody listening. That if you owe the IRS debt, sure, it is negotiable. Yeah, always they Just, want money. So so he got out there, and then um, you know he's a pretty charismatic guy, and he's a he's a very very clever guy, and then. Um, you know, he got to befriend uh, Mr. Elmer T. Lee over at Buffalo Trace and the late, great Dave Pickerel at uh, Maker's Mark at the time and Jimmy and Eddie over at Woodford. And, um, you know, he'd be sitting down and talking to these guys and just asking questions and showing up every single day, every single day with more and more questions. And then he kept ending the conversations with like, why do all y'all tour guides keep saying that you can only make bourbon in Kentucky? We all know that that's a bunch of horse shit. So... So Dan went back with with all the information and and Elmer T. Lee really, really kind of took a liking to him because Elmer at the time had done pretty much everything there was to do at Trace and everything he can do in his life at 70 years old. And so he had been studying aquifers throughout the U.S. 
uh, for a long time, hoping that America was going to hop on to what they've been doing in Scotland and getting different regionalities with theirs. So, so Mr. Lee knew the aquifer that Dan Garrison had property on and knew the hard water source and knew that they could make some really good bourbon out there. And he found his pansy to test out his theories by doing something with fantastic limestone aquifer water, using their own money and doing it in a different climate. And so, you know, what was going on? And so Dan wrote to the the TTB who, you know, controls everything that, that's fun in, the, in America. And um, he said, you know, my name's Dan Garrison. I would like to open a a bourbon distillery and how can I go about doing this? And the gentleman, I, I can't remember his name right now. Bob. He's a, I think it was Tim or something. But anyway, he wrote back and, you know, went through the ABCs of bourbon and this is what you have to do to be legally called a bourbon. And by the way, I have worked for the TTB for 28 years. Nobody has ever asked me that question before. So hot damn, we knew we were onto something. Um, so we were the first legal bourbon to come out of Texas, and I believe uh, number two or three to come out of Kentucky. And so we started making it, and and they were out there day and night doing different mash bills and, and trying different things, and mm-hmm. um, until I finally found something that uh, that they liked, and then I kind of you know shared the knowledge with the story on the on the barrels that we were first getting in there and the corn, I'll get into the corn in a little bit, but our very first still uh, was the very first still that it was Mr. Lee's experimental still over Buffalo Trace. So it's where he developed Blanton's and uh, several other amazing (laughs) whiskeys on. So it was his hundred gallon still that you can pump out about 19 gallons of white dog a day. I mean, I know that the three of us in this room can probably kill 19 gallons in a good weekend. (laughs) uh, So it wasn't really a lot, but it was what we got started on. And then, um, when you trace that back through Vendome, turns out that uh, legend goes Mr. Lee won that still off uh, Jimmy and Eddie in a horse race back in the 70s. So the whole reason there's a little horsey on top of a bottle of Blanton's was Mr. Lee saying to Jimmy and Eddie that I got your still. Now, I was talking to Bruce and Eddie at uh, Tales of the Cocktail a couple weeks ago with a picture of our copper cowgirl, and I asked them to. You, so you, you all still have the still. It's right? still our yeah. It's we still have. We now have Fat Man, Little Boy. These two five hundred gallon stills made by uh, Vendome, and then back in October, I was out there to help install our brand new two thousand copper pot still, our Big Johnson. Now, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, that just reminds me of the t-shirts out of the 90s. <laughs> so that that's the copper pot still if you want to see it. That's our copper cowgirl. And I was showing this photo to That's an awesome still. Yeah. So I was showing it's a combo. They got eight plates, you know, copper pot with eight plates on there, and then goes up to the condenser. But when I was chatting with uh with Eddie and I was chatting with Bruce, um, I was saying, like, like I, I need some proof on this story. And, and, validation and, he, and he's he's giving me maybes. I'm like, but you're not denying it. And I can't really ask Mr. Lee. And, and Donis is pretty tight-lipped about it. And we can follow that that still was on, uh, was it Versailles Road is where uh, Welter, we know it was there. So uh, it, it's been a ton of fun. And I just told Eddie and I told Bruce, I said, until you're going to tell me to stop saying this story, this is <laughs> this is what we're going with. So they didn't deny it. So I kind of I kind of love sharing that story. And uh that's how it kind of done. Even our our brand new uh, Big Johnson, our two thousand copper pot still. Um, Vendome will not confirm or deny if it's the largest copper pot they've made in America. And hmm. uh, it was really fun when I was in there installing it because I had a had an amazing dinner at Navajo Grill in Fredericksburg, which is just about ten minutes away from our distillery. And I am sitting there with a thousand questions for Dan and a thousand questions for Donis and. 
like, how are we going to get the same white dog off three different size stills? And he just got into surface area ratios and it's all the exact same amount in the copper pot and the plates. And I'm, you're like, you're losing me, but, you know, I'll take your word for it. So it's all been custom designed and custom made. And um, it's really a lot of fun when... When uh, the three stills, uh, we don't use the, the the copper cowgirl a lot anymore in mass production. I think we're gonna eventually get it get it worked in there in the mix. But it's really fun when all three of them are firing to, to just walk from one to one to one and taste that white dog coming off and taste where it is in in the distillation process and and really get the flavors out of there. It's it's fun. Well, tell the brothers Zeke and I are more than happy to have them put it up in a horse race for us and, and we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll take it off their hands but i don't know what we're gonna bet against it though and i don't know jack shit about horses john so well i you're, you're you might be flying solo on this project it's okay i did the horse racing radio network i'm good <laughs> i i know how to handicap i would i would trust my judgment but it's it's interesting i do want to just say it's interesting that we are recording tonight because tonight is Elmer T. Lee's hundredth birthday. Ah. If he were still alive, so well, let's let's it, cheers it, to Elmer. It's kind of fortunate that you know you're in yeah. here and you're talking about that because it, it is his birthday, and I know Zeke is a big fan of Elmer T. Lee. Well, who isn't? I mean, without Truth, Elmer, no, there no. probably wouldn't be a lot of Scotch. Truth of the matter, <laughs> there probably wouldn't be a lot of Irish. <laughs> So truth of the matter is Zeke always used to dog Elmer T. Lee, the, the not the man. Yeah. The man is amazing. Yeah. He used to dog the bourbon. And half the reason is the bourbon is very expensive on secondary mm-hmm. now and, and all there's a lot of hype. And I'm sure that's making him roll over in his grave. Well, and there's a lot of hype around it. But we're not doing this tonight, but we are primarily a blind tasting show. We've done a shit ton of interviews lately and and haven't got to the blind tasting like we should oops and zeke and i are going to get back to it soon but uh i love those we are primarily a blind tasting show i will tell you that we blinded zeke on buffalo trace stuff and he picked elmer t lee number one it was more of you know the accessible buffalo trace stuff Mm -hmm. But it's just funny because we found out that day in a blind tasting that Elmer T. Lee was Zeke's favorite Buffalo Trace. And he forgets about it, and I have to remind him. I don't don't forget, John. Don't worry. I have to remind him that he dogged it for a little bit, then he did the blind, and then realized it was his favorite. I strongly suggest And now he sleeps with a bottle. With a big, tall, round bottle? Does that make you feel more masculine? He just hugs it. It's an he empty bottle. It. It's an empty bottle. He just hugs it. He loves Elmer. It's it's almost like one of those uh, th- those cans that those lifeguards in, in Baywatch. It's <laughs> big empty cans. I, I may or may not have fallen asleep with a drink in my hand more than once, but never a bottle. It's just fortunate that tonight's the night that we are are getting together. And so and- this is about. About 2000, like you said, uh, we, we got the license. And then, I mean, originally we even started calling the cops on ourselves. Um, you know, we're moonshining again. Come out and arrest us. And it, it got to the point where the cops were saying, please, please stop calling us. You're wasting our time. We're going out there and nothing's getting done. But we had to change a lot of the um, legislation that was in Texas on distilled spirits. Now, Tito Beverage it does a little uh, 
clear liquid that's doing <laughs> doing pretty well. Did a lot to lobby and change a lot and, and open those doors. And then, um, you know, all the way up to just this year, if you look at this bottle of uh, single barrel, we have this Texas certified sticker on there. And this is, you know, something that, that they're going to be writing about Dan years after we're gone about that he got all the Texas distilleries together and to get them involved that this sticker means that you are producing, distilling, barreling, and bottling in Texas. Now, this is not in any way, shape, or form to knock any sourced whiskeys because there are some fantastic sourced whiskeys out there. But stop trying to blow smoke and, and, and mirrors and, and, and lie to your guests and, and customers and have them think that that's going on because that's just not the case. And, and bourbon, you know, when you go through the ABCs of bourbon and G being genuine, I, I think that's so not genuine when you're, you know, mis- misleading your, your, your buyers on where it's coming from. And so we're super proud to have this accomplished. And it was Dan that spearheaded that whole thing. And you know, a lot of people don't want to play nice. They don't want to play in the same sandbox. So they get this kind of cooperation. I think it's fantastic. Well, and now there's a whole Texas whiskey trail. Yeah. If you think about where you guys have been, I mean, you were the first down there and now there's a whole trail. There's people doing a, a bunch of great things down there. There are a lot of similarities, I would think, between Texas. The only difference, I would think, is Tennessee, people in Nashville and Davidson County and Hamilton County and Chattanooga and all the other counties at Williamson County that have distilleries. I mean, at first, it was a county-by-county county vote in Tennessee. Not everybody knows that, but the only places you could legally distill were Pritchard's and uh, George Dickel and Jack Daniels. I did not know that. But then all the other distilleries that have since popped up, and there are a whole hell of a lot of them in Tennessee now, mm-hmm. there were county-by-county county votes. You could actually say, okay, we want to distill in Davidson County, and then people had to go lobby to get everybody to vote to distill in Davidson so County. So did it, did it boil down, in your opinion, did it boil down to money getting votes, or did it boil down to people actually cooperating, saying this is good for the greater good? It was a little bit of, you know, it, it was also people realizing that, yes, rising tides raise all ships, mm-hmm. but it, it was also got more complicated because there are some more touristy areas, right? So as legislation changed and you have some of these distilleries that might not make only just whiskey and they're in a touristy area and they have a bunch of people coming in all the time, they might not want another distillery right down the street. I got you. So things got a little bit complicated when you're thinking about statewide legislature. Some of the the guys that just wanted to go distill down in a barn and make a couple barrels a week and then go sell it and you know, have a true craft distillery, they were kind of put on the wayside. You look at good folks down in Chattanooga right now, they're releasing their 91 proof and their 111 proof. They're off MGP. It's their own distillate now. You know, they finally settled on a product. But if you think about the timeline, we just went down and interviewed them. They had all these years where they were sourcing MGP because they couldn't legally distill mm-hmm. in Hamilton County. Now, did you see a big difference in flavor? Because Dan 100%. was setting his guns. And, I mean, it was one of the things that, that drove the, the debt in the early years. Not that, you know, it's it's a billion-dollar business for us right now. But Dan was set that, you know, we will never, ever source. And we're waiting. So even though we were the first, or we are the first legal bourbon in Texas, we were not the first to market. Because other people rushed it and got to the market quicker. But... Dan's 
set in his ways and wanted to make sure that we can make and he'll always say i want to make the best bourbon i can possibly make and he wasn't going to rush it for anything he's like when it's ready it's ready zeke i'm interested in what you think about this because when we've tasted garrison brothers before i haven't got the barley as much and i know there's 11 percent 11 percent malted barley yep. but I'm, I'm getting a little bit more of the barley in the 2018 than i did in the 2014 and, and i almost think that's what rounds it out a little bit more is the barley might be a little more pronounced and i'm sure there's a whole host of conversations that we could have with the distillers but i'm just talking about tasting notes in general i definitely get the barley more in the newer one than i do in the older one i don't know about you to a degree i would go there um it was kind of an interesting spot to be in because I could see 2018 being more of a approachable or crowd pleaser, so to speak. But at the same time, it wasn't very pronounced in any direction. Whereas the 2014, the notes it had were much more vibrant, uh, much more detectable. Whether or not someone would love those notes or not, I don't know. But as far as, you know, kind of laughably going back to the Elmer thing, my knock on that at 90 proof was just you don't get a ton of flavor in any direction. And with the 2018, I didn't get as much of a definitive pronounced flavors. Like I say, I didn't necessarily love all of them. But, you know, if you're looking to, to get more flavor and bang for the buck at 94 proof, I thought the 2014 had that. That's fair. I, I mean, I see. I think it's more of you and I both know the barley is going to make things more of an easy drinker, right? When you when you have more of a pronounced barley flavor, I think on the twenty fourteen, I think I get more of a corn note. Yep, and it's much more corn forward in the twenty fourteen, and it almost drinks thinner than the 2018 does so when you when you're you're talking about the flavor here and you're talking about you might not have as pronounced of a flavor i mean because that corn's gonna come up and kick you i got good barley in the 2014 it's just the back end for me is where it got i got much more barley in the 2018 but it drank thicker than a 94 like yeah but in the middle of the finish in in more in the finish i mean the barley really kicks up in the finish and and i think the 2018 is more finish heavy than the 2014. No, that's been... We can just go ahead and segue to notes because that's <laughs> about where we are. 2014, I said it was... The nose was more noticeable just in general, but also it was a lot of corn and a lot of heat. And it could be the reference earlier from the cheer wine, but I really thought it smelled like a Diet <laughs> Dr. Pepper can. I could, I could see from what I know uh, from when we were first starting, we are also learning a lot about the cooperages we were using. So I don't know the exact proportions, but I could probably safely guess that if we were just to say for shits and giggles that the 2014 was 33% of each cooperage, I could definitely say that there's a different amount of each cooperage oh, yeah, I mean, four in years a small batch. And difference. by learning which characteristics we like to take out of there. Yeah. I know there was... Um, one of the cooperages that uh, we kind of leaving by the wayside. I'm not going to say any names, but uh, just on the, on the finish it was in, and and maybe they'd have a, a much better finish in a different climate. It just wasn't yeah. working well for us. The one I love about the 2018 is that burnt orange peel note that that I always get on that. And I'm a big fan of that one coming out of our bourbon. But yeah, I mean it's 
I love comparing the notes. This is really fun for me. Um, you can't see this, but I was just holding these two bottles side by side up to the light, and the 2018's uh, a shade darker. And um, not that that really has anything to do with flavor, but it's uh, this has been really fun for me to try these side by side. That's not something I've, I've got the opportunity to do before. I know, and you were telling me as we were walking in, you were like, I, I've never seen the 2014. I don't have this on my shelf. And for you to actually have that and be able to try it, 2014 is more of a punch in the face like not in a just saying it's a forward thing right yeah. 2014 is going to hit you up front the 14 i got malt in the palate almost like honeycomb cereal literally just like that malt coating that's on there one. there's a good one but on the finish the oak and the drying yeah really were overbearing whereas when i switched over to 2018 the nose i barely even picked up any heat and not too much beyond that the palate seemed to be a good mix of corn and barley. I put down not too much of the you know sawmill profile folks will associate with cooked corn kind of thing in a young age. The it had a singe that kind of circled back around, and then I put. But the finish was where I really got like a, a, a barley wine, but it was almost somewhere a mix of uh, you know corn and tannins that that led to that kind of barley wineish flavor. I didn't get as much. I mean, it, there's tannins in the sense of like you know, there's a Texas whiskey characteristic, and it's something that I've tasted across not just Garrison Brothers. It's it's the heat. What well, is it? You know, tannins instead of oak. Like yeah. the fourteen had that drying just oak, whereas this is just a characteristic the wood's going to impart. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because when I characterize Texas whiskey, I wouldn't say it's an oak. Like you know, when you have something that's super dry and it's that. You know, we've talked about it recently in, in some of the other shows we've had is when that finish is dry and then you sit there and you go like, you just have a dry yeah. mouth. I don't get that from Texas whiskey. It's like the there's sometimes you're like, oh, man, this bit out in the heat a little bit and you get like a little bit of tannins that way. But it's never a dry whiskey. I get a big mouth feel, viscous, oily. Yeah. Um, I mean, it lingers. I, I think a lot of that has to do uh, twofold. I think by number one, that we transfer the entire mash into our copper pot stills and, and distill it full, well, full mash and all. We don't strain out the wort, and and I think that um, allows for much bigger mouth feel uh, as well as I believe the. Um, the rainwater that proof it down with so um it's it's i've gone to some other ones that i've had in the past i don't know if this is just my palate is so accustomed to overproof whiskey now but i've gone to some others that that were favorites of mine a few years back and it's like drinking unsweet tea i'm <laughs> like where where's the flavor so i don't yeah. know if that's just becoming no, you know, more of a professional like alcoholic <laughs> No, I, I say those are the ones I use for editing. So, you know, when I have to edit audio and I can have like four of those. And, and not, what I was going to say to you is like it almost annoys me. And I'm not trying to start any crap with Bullet, but where Bullet says they're Frontier Whiskey. And I'm like, they shouldn't even be able to say Frontier Whiskey. It should just be all Texas whiskey should be able to say that they're Frontier Whiskey just because... It's a little, you know, it's it's dealing with those elements and Kentucky, Tennessee. That it's, I feel like it's still a little bit more of a controlled environment where Texas literally is the Wild West. Like you don't know what you're gonna get. Oh, yeah. You could get, you know, the 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 cold, cold, cold nights. 
And it could be, shit, the middle of summer, and you're going to have a cold, cold, cold night and a hot, hot, hot day. Mm-hmm. Where in Kentucky, Tennessee, it's like you know you're probably going to have, there are some days that you might have a 40-degree temperature variance, but... Most days, you know, it's going to be 80, 60, 80, you know, 80. And you can get that. You could trace that. We've done it. We've done the charts, and I've seen them. You can trace that right on the weather network and trace yeah. the, 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 I don't know, not lineage is not the right word, but you could trace that temperature control that they got going on there. But I don't know if you meant to do that segue by Frontier Whiskey, but that's probably a really good one to get into the single barrel because that's really Frontier because that is Wild West. That's one barrel, and that one barrel next to another barrel next to another barrel can taste quite different. I believe they all still have that same. That is our single barrel offering, and this one actually you'll see on the side. It'll say the year it was distilled, the barrel number it was, how many bottles were in that, and this one you were just talking about, this is actually a five-year that I didn't even know I was going to get until I opened uh, this very box. And um, the, the single barrels are really, really exciting for me to try because – depending where I am, you know, in the US doing this and talking to bartenders, there there are always subtle nuances. And that's that's how they get chosen and selected by our master distiller, Donis Todd, to be a single barrel when he finds those extra nuances. If he has that extra, you know, your favorite flavor marzipan, or if it's got some extra chocolate ganache in there, or cinnamon or whatever. I mean, I had one we were doing a tasting at seven grand in Los Angeles and in the middle of my spiel I mean, I just stopped dead on my tracks, and and I think everybody in the room's looking like I, I think Shane's having a stroke. Like, like what's going on? And and, <laughs> medic, and, medic. and I, I just said, I said, is anybody else getting that red candied apple that you dipped at the county fair? And be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I've never tasted that my before, <laughs> so it was really exciting for me to get that because. I never get to to be out there on the selection day. I'd love to do that sometime, but um, it, it's it's like a crackerjack box. It's always a surprise. You, yep. you know you're gonna love it. You know you're gonna enjoy it, or at least I do. And uh, it's fun to get. This so. one's fruity. I'm surprised at how much fruit I'm getting in this single barrel compared to you know, the notes. That I'm, I'm not getting as much barley. As just much as I am fruit, and I'm overgeneralizing this, and I know Shane's next question is going to be, well, is what it, fruit? Is it red fruit? What is it fruit dark fruit? Getting? Is it ripe fruit? Is it dried fruit? It's just, <laughs> at now, on the first sip, I'm just kind of like, wow, there's fruit, and I wasn't <laughs> expecting it, and I'm... I'm See, when Zeke said honeycomb, we all know what dried honeycombs taste like from digging our hands looking for the prize of that. But when you say fruit, come on, man. Oh, no. I'm just (laughs) – I'm giving you the first glance, and I'm trying to produce the damn show at the same time. So, like, you got to give me – I call that taking the low road. (laughs) Normally, I throw something out there and let you guys discuss so then I can take a a sip. Well, I'm still finishing my 2018. Um, I'll get right in there, and I'll I'll join you on on the fruit parade. On the silver wax single barrel, I, I honestly, the first thing I thought of on the nose was, hey, this has got a light floral component to it. I'm, I'm a little surprised, intrigued here. We'll see what's going on. The more I thought about it, and I don't know if this exists, but it, it reminds me of like a peach champagne. Yep. I mean, it, it's got some kind of effervescent that you just smell on things that are, you know, bubbly to a degree, like the way they come off on the nose. I, I don't know. That's what I get at this point. Palette-wise, it, it still seemed honestly really fizzy to me. Not like a soda fizzy, but 
Like a not, Vino Verde. Not prickly, but yeah, just you know, you get a little little pops on the tongue here and there. It seemed somewhere between barley sweet plus nice corn in there. And the more I tasted and thought about it, I kind of went to somewhere between a mix of white dog, somewhat like a beer, maybe a whiskey, maybe a barrel-aged whiskey and like a beer barrel. It's not 100% there for me, but I pick up enough notes that are on that side of the coin to where I guess it's got to be something that has to do with youth because if it's white dog and beer, obviously that's not aged, but it just doesn't come off that way. But that's really where I got torn. What's that country song? One bourbon, one scotch, one beer. beer. Yeah, George, uh, George Thurgood. I feel like this is one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. <laughs> I'll get, I don't get one. I don't get the scotch side of it. But. I mean, I, I get I get some serious milk chocolate on this one. It is is to my palate, and then when I get on our single barrels, uh, and this is barrel number five thousand nine hundred. Um, 2014 so that means that this was that can't be right no that's 2019 so this is this year that we we bottled it sorry uh being five years old so 5,900 I could uh shoot a text to Donna's and figure out what it was my guess because of those chocolate notes that I'm getting is that this barrel was a Kelvin Cooperage out of Louisville um I find that some of the ones we get from our Cooperages in Minnesota impart more of those spicy notes where a lot of people immediately assume that we have some rye in our mash bill when they get those spice. And I said, that's all coming from the barrels and the heat. There's no rye in there. Um, so that's going to be my guess, but this has been a big week. My palate could be shot. I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I could see a little bit of the milk chocolate in there. and I see even when, when you're talking about the candy, I'm even getting... You know those Christmas candies, the, the, the orange-covered chocolate sticks? Must be some Canadian candy. It's very possible. It's very <laughs> possible. After eight, but instead of mint in the middle, it was like an orange ganache or something like that. So uh, It sounds like something they have in Montreal. It's very possible. The and, Boston and, guy's trying to make fun of my hometown right now. <laughs> and I, I just, we, we haven't, I feel like we need to have Shane back. Because we never got to talk to you about you and, and, you know, we're already kind of an hour and 20 minutes into this. So we got to figure out some way to. I'd love to come back. We could get into worldwide whiskeys, Canadian whiskeys. Oh, yeah. We can get into, you know, my least favorite word on the planet, mixology. We you could talk about all that jazz. Mixology? Yeah. I hate that word. When, when do people actually use that word? <sighs> I'm so glad it hasn't hit Tennessee yet. <laughs> I, I really don't know why. I mean, we're simple folk it, here. It's like somebody calling themselves a whiskey sommelier. Oh, well. When there's no certification for it. But there's no certification for anything. So if you think Well, about, there is for sommeliers and for cicerones and for chefs. No, but like I'm talking about like, so you have a bourbon steward. Exactly. And so there's the steward, there's a sommelier, but they're, well, they're not. Sommelier is is so much study and a very intense exam. And Bourbon steward is, is paying somebody $500 and taking an eight-hour course and declaring yourself a professional. Well, I am a bourbon <laughs> steward, and, and I will tell you that I didn't do the executive bourbon yeah. steward. I did the one where you get the book. Yeah. And so do you feel that you could have passed that exam without the book? Yes. In my point exactly. Because it's, <laughs> well, it's, and there is one certification that is valid. 
bourbon drinker. <laughs> I mean, we are. We I'll are, high five that. Thank you. I mean, I was figuring out we were doing the podcast. I said, well, shit, we probably should get something and something, right? Yeah. And then you get the book, and the test is. Well, bourbon can't go into the barrel over 125 proof. It can't come out over 160 proof. And it's like new charred white oak yeah. American barrel. Can't be finished in another barrel. It's like, well, shit, I knew all that. You yeah, know? And you the know, one interesting thing, though, this is where I will. Please. Is, is what I like about the bourbon steward course or the test is that you have to come up with the flight take all the other stuff out of it it's like okay you know like what is bottled and bond and and all that kind of stuff i mean that's all good information mm -hmm. you have to come up with what is a logical grouping it's not like i'm going to sit here and be like all right i'm going to take garrison brothers maker's mark and westland whiskey out of the pacific yeah. northwest good stuff it's good stuff but it doesn't all mix you could well, find one a of way. these things is not like the other because you could certainly pair two weeded whiskeys in there with Garrison and Makers, but I see where you're going with that. One of the things I, I think I did in mine was I think I did Elijah Craig, I did Old Forester, and I did Makers. And what I said was Elijah Craig was allegedly the first guy to char a White Oak American barrel, Makers Mark was the first brand to actually have an ambassador. And then Old Forester was the first brand to actually bottle their bourbon. So in my test, I said, here's a way where I can do things that have subtle differences, mm -hmm. but it's also whiskey education at the same time. That's so, thinking outside the box. I appreciate that. That's, that's, that's clever. You know, but that's what I think people need to do. It's like when you're putting a flight together, think about how you're actually going to talk to people about it that's why i like the steward thing but the whole test i mean it's multiple choice it's open book at the same time so you could sit there while you're doing the thing so, and be like, so i mean that i, I rest my case because that's what i'm saying because I, i've studied you know for for the sommelier and, and got on the level one and the cicerone exam is just unbelievably complex and i mean you're you're going in and you're reassembling and disassembling couplers and kegs and you're talking about everything there is to go and it's an 80 percent pass rate compared to the sommelier exam which is 60 and i'm like okay come on red or white that's 50 percent right there <laughs> so you're telling me that i can get 61 percent on this exam and call myself a, a professional and so this is why i would love if there was an industry standardized thing for not just bourbon, but for whiskey to really get in there and get into the the growing of, of the grain and the harvesting of the grain and what malting is and what kilning is and, and washbacks and why why pine washbacks are different than stainless and really getting in there and getting down to the nitty gritty and the science uh, of distillation and everything. And I think that's really what's necessary as opposed to people just going out there and naming themselves professionals. And when you go to a Chili's and I'm the chef, no, you're the kitchen manager. You are not a chef at Chili's. <laughs> well, you know what I think legitimately, and this is getting into a very interesting conversation, but I think legitimately the difference between, and I'm about to piss off some wine people, that there are plenty of whiskey drinkers that say they like wine more. I think there is more variance in whiskey than wine. And there are more things that would affect a whiskey. You know, you're taking grapes. Mm -hmm. You are. It, it is a much more fruit forward. But I mean, it it is the grapes that are making the wine. 
whatever you're you're doing to those grapes. I mean, it might be a type of grape you're growing, but well, the terrain know. factors in. I can't remember the word for it, but there's a there's a fancy word you said earlier for which one? Terrain. Terroir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With whiskey, it's are you using white corn? Are you using red corn? Are you using yellow corn? Are you using you know, a, a winter wheat, a summer wheat, yep. or are you using a winter rye, a summer rye? There, In that aspect, you got to relate the fermentation of beer. Oh, so yeah, 100%. So, so you're doing that because you're making a distiller's beer without the hops. 110%. But then you get into, are you doing sweet mash? Are you doing yeah. sour mash? Are you doing, what? what's the wood? And the wood is going to be 65% of your flavor. And you're going to have... Where are you actually aging it? Are you aging it in a place that's going to have a temperature that is really hot like Texas? Or are you aging up in Michigan? Are you aging in Kentucky? Are you aging in Tennessee? And you take all these things together. I think there are more variables Mm -hmm. in whiskey where I think it's almost harder to say... How well, do you actually, I mean, and maybe yes it's more and like no. a Cicerone. Yeah, right? Yes and no. And, and here, here's where I'll, I'll say, because I've, I've worked for a brewery and I've studied wine and been a wine buyer for years and years and years. And I've worked uh, a little bit in the stills and everything. So here's how I'll kind of break it down and compare it. I like to describe wine as a motion picture and beer as a Broadway production. So wine, like a motion picture, like a film, you have one chance to make it and you hope that it gets better with age. Whereas beer is like a Broadway production and I'm talking about the beer in a can and I'm talking about our distiller's beer. Is you're trying to get consistency in doing it the same every single night, every single night, every single night like a Broadway show and go for that now. After distillation and the aging, that's where the whiskey becomes like a motion picture. You have one shot at that aging, and I hope it goes. But at any step in winemaking, when it's my my harvesting, where it's my pressing, where it's my fermentation, uh, where it's my bottling, where if I if I f up at any step in that wine, my year is done. If I mess up in any step of my fermentation, making a beer or whiskey, I'm out five days. I just started again. Just like a Broadway show. Oh, I messed up my line. Do it again. <laughs> so that's, but, that's the way I kind of say the difference between the two. But the, one of the things I like about that analogy, though, is like a Broadway play, though, Broadway's live. Yeah, you got where, variables. Where motion picture, you could take 80 takes to get the line right. Well, I'm, but not to say the 80 takes, but you, you well, that, and, uh, when, once that movie's done, I can't go back and change it. Once my Broadway's done, I can change the show tomorrow night. No, but I'm <laughs> saying there's with the Broadway show, there's more chances of things going wrong because it's live. But you could fix it. But once but that movie, fix it. once that movie's done, it's done. No, I, I agree <laughs> yeah. with you, but I'm saying you, you might have to yeah. fix it again five days later. Yeah. One of the biggest lessons and one of the funniest things that that I ever had said to me out of the distillery was um, first day I was out there distilling with um, with one of our distillers, Russell Hartman, who's just one of the nicest men on the planet, a big old Texan with his hat every day, no matter how hot it is. And and so we've all been to distilleries and they're walking around with lab coats and they're walking around with clipboards and security goggles and this and that. And so, you know, I roll into Garrison Brothers and, you know, he, he said, you know, I'll see you tomorrow at 5 a.m. I'm like, all right, all right. So... 5 a.m. in Fredericksburg, you know, the only thing opens Whataburger. I grab a couple breakfast burritos and I go show up and I show up at 5 a.m. He's like, shit. 
I didn't think you're gonna show. <laughs> so already I know you're hazing me, right? So, so we start our, our distillation. We're doing that. Then I've got all these questions, like when are we? How do we cut the heads? You know, from the heart, and how do we get in this? Is it gonna be by weight? Are we measuring gas? Is it volume? Like, how are we doing this? And he's just looking at me like, "What are you talking about?" So we bring the stills up to a boil, and and it starts dripping out. And he, he looks at me. He's like, "All right, taste it now." So I. Slap my finger under there and get the first one, have a little lick. I was like, oh, that's that's some Granny Smith. That's some green alley. That's some green apple. He's like, yeah, yeah, that'll make you go blind. You don't want that. So like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there and, you know, a few minutes roll past. And he's like, give her another go. So I was like, that's, that's cooked pineapple. And he doesn't even break my gaze. He just goes like this. And that's how he cuts it. I'm like, are you shitting me? That's, that's how we cut? That's how we cut the heads? It's like, no, like, what do we do next? And this is the words I will never forget. And I repeat all the time. Now we got to hurry up to wait. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> you just got to wait until you got to switch it to the tails. And that's, that's it. it. That's it. it it's, it's unbelievable that, that, that everything is that handcrafted. And coming off a 500-gallon distillate that day, there was under a gallon and a half of heads. I, I thought there'd be so much more for that kind of volume, and it's done by experience. It's done by taste. It's not done by these big fancy measurements and these big charts and and mm-hmm. coats and billboards and or billboards. And I was just like, this is insane to me. Like, how do you get to this level? And it's just by hurrying up to wait. You don't rush. Donis always says, "There's there's no running out on the distillery." He goes, "If you see me running, <laughs> fucking run." <laughs> There's no running out there. It's so funny because there are some distilleries, if you think about it, they might only do their heads and their hearts at the beginning of the week and the end of the week because they're running that still the whole time. You guys with the sweet mash. Exactly. You have to do your heads and your hearts every single run. So someone's actually got to sit there with a 500-gallon still. It might take it a few days. It takes know. it a couple hours just to heat up. I mean, the, the whole distillation from start to finish, you're looking about 12 hours. Now, that's not 12 hours of drip, drip, drip. That's that's heating it up, getting it out, cutting it, cleaning it out, getting ready for the next one. So, Taking a little nap. Uh, while, while it's I mean, there. you got to maintain it, but, I mean, it, it gets hot out there. But, I mean, you're, you're constantly looking, and, and when, if it gets a little bit over... I mean, you know, as you know, you can do up to 160, but whenever we're at over at 140, and that middle of the distillation at 140, we'll go and adjust some temperature valves and bring it right down. So it hovers between 130 and 140. We just like barbecue, low and slow. We want it that way. And it's every time I'm out there, I'm learning something, and I'm getting out there and adjusting, and it's it's really a ton of fun. I got to get you guys out to do some bottling with us. I would love to, and I would I would love to pick a single barrel. If, Did if you say modeling or bottling? Because bottling, okay, because the other one John hasn't done too well that recently. <laughs> I'm here to work. I don't know what you're talking about. We got a runway leading up to the Copper Cowgirl. Yeah, I mean you got room for about one pirouette, but that's I'll about it. it. <laughs> On that note, I just want to say I really like this 2019. That really surprised me. And I think it's just single barrels always do. They do. There's right. a surprise in every single barrel. That's the fun of it, right? Well, yeah. That is absolutely the fun of it. I think one of the things for us, though, is when we think we were so used to the 2014 version mm-hmm. that that 2019 really snuck up. 
And I'm glad when I saw you the other night, you were like, you want a sip? I'm like, no, 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 let's just wait, let's wait. for Let's wait for the podcast. So, so you listen to Russell's words. Yeah. You got to hurry up to wait. <laughs> yeah, you got you to hurry up to wait. Zeke, what do you think about this single barrel? Um, I always wonder where pricing is. Honestly, I haven't kept up too well with the brand in that regard. I remember at one point it was somewhat expensive. I don't know where things are now. I know I don't have the pricing here in Tennessee. I know on average our small batch is going at about 90 and then the single barrels are going about 110. And then when you get into some of our other marks, like our Balmeray Double Oaked is about 150. And then the Cowboy that's going to be coming out this September is going to be 200. You know, the reasoning for the pricing is it's not that we're out there buying uh, Ferraris and and all kinds of posh stuff. It really is due to um, three factors for the most part. It is we're using some of the most expensive corn that's out there on the market, food-grade corn, uh, our custom-made barrels that we have to use because we can't use the industry standard, and just the amount that we lose in angel share, that 14% a year, um, that yield really, really goes down. Um, I mean, I, I had a... I got caught saying on a YouTube broadcast out in Los Angeles, they said, you know, what kind of moron would would start a business where you lose 14% of your assets and you're not even able to sell until after four years? And I'm like, that's us. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, really? I spoke for an hour and that's the 15 second clip you used. (laughs) That's the good thing about us is. The only thing I really try to edit out is ums <laughs> and uh, just timing. Yeah, so it's not that we're we're trying to be pretentious. It just uh, it just costs a lot to make what we're doing. I mean, the fact that we're we're bartering with volunteers out there to, to come out and help us out, and, and we give them a shot of bourbon, we get them breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they get their very own bottle. And I, I think when you boil down to that, they're getting about fifteen bucks an hour to come hang out and, and bottle for us and. You know, we can do what we can with that rather than, you know, upping that cost by, by doing it. And I think that makes it a bit more homey and more family. When you come out and see that, it, people start taking pride in what they're doing. And and I love giving shit when I see all these bottles are hand-signed. When I see some that are really poorly waxed, I'm like, how did that slip by you? Was that Friday afternoon you just wanted to get out of work? You know, like, I'll, I'll call them and give them oh, shit. Man. I mean, we had this one ball here, a single barrel signed by uh, Rev, who's just an awesome human being he's our he's our distillery manager and and i found one at a tasting i was doing for the usbg in new york city and i opened it up and it said f h y three or four exclamation points and signature about yay big distillery manager i'm like what the hell is going on on that what is f h y so i took a picture of it sent it to him and then in the middle of my seminar with all these bartenders, you know, phone rings. So I'm just sitting there and I put it on speakerphone. I'm like, hey, hey, Rev, what's up? He's like, where are you? I said, I, I, I'm in New York right now. I'm in the middle of the seminar. You're on speakerphone with everybody. I said, what does that mean? It says, fuck hell yeah. It's like, like, why does it say fuck hell yeah? He goes, because this is the last one I signed all goddamn day and I wanted to get out of there. And I was like, oh man, I love you, Rev. I just hung up on him before he got out of hand. Um, and it was like, the, just the, the, the honesty and legitimacy. And like, you're not even hiding behind it. You're saying, this is my last ball of the day. Fuck hell yeah. I, that F-bomb is staying in. That, that's worth it. I got to say, thank you so, so much for coming. I, I probably would put these at a bar still just where the price is. I, I think it's worth 
Not that it matters, and we were telling you nobody really listens to our opinion at the end of the day, <laughs> but these are ones where I definitely think you wouldn't be upset having, especially this one at, at a bar at 110 bucks. I don't know. I mean, it's a, I, I'm, I'd be torn on it, but I think it's still a bar. What about you, Zeke? Yeah, I'm the same. I think it's bar. I mean, I understand the uh, nature and the I guess, uh, factors that go into that, and obviously... Like Bernie says from Heaven Hill, we're in the bourbon business, not the bourbon charity. So yeah, everybody's got. And a Garrison Brothers doesn't have the same rate that a, a Jack Daniels does in the grain, and we get that, and we're sympathetic to that. I think it's um, we're realizing more and more, and it's not a knock on any distillery. I'm realizing I don't need to spend 110 bucks on a bottle, and people get on us for price sometimes. It's I just need two ounces to say I had it. Right? It's not always a thing for me where I need to go find the bottle. And I think there are a lot of whiskey and bourbon people that if you're like, hey, you're not going to get every bottle. Yep. Enjoy the pour of the bottle that you get. And that's why we make it. I mean, we, we everybody at Garrison Brothers, we all believe that good bourbon is going to change the world. Good bourbon is going to get friends together. And good bourbon is going to create legendary stories. And but I shoot, mean, this and, is a and, single and, and barrel. That's the whole thing. There's millions of people that drink bourbon yep. all the time. And this is a single barrel, which means there are millions of people that are never going to drink this barrel. Yep. So if you can have it at a bar and let multiple people share from that bottle. And then that, come that's, out and share next bourbon next time and create a new legendary yeah. story. And that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're not trying to be in all the places. We're trying to be in the right places. And we want to be with the right people. And... And everybody's got a different palate. And, and you know, I, I 1,000% respect that and I understand that. And it's it's I, I just love the people that, that I get to work with every single day. And it, it's creating a it's just speaking of which, niche. Yes. I'm interrupting you again. But speaking of which, say hi to Sammy Sam Sam. Absolutely. Oh, Sammy. Oh, what a badass. Yeah. <laughs> She's so, a badass. So. so we used to do live videos. Yeah. And and we started before we moved to the podcast. We were Sunday nights at nine. We did a live Instagram show. Oh. And Sammy Sam Sam would always join. And Sammy is just the best. And, and she's one of the nicest people. So Samantha, first, uh, I believe, first Mexican-American distiller in the state of Texas absolute badass could drink me under the table and i think her and i became good friends because the amount of shit that she would give me on my first ever trip out there by myself i would just feed it right back and immediately we're instant friends for life and i mean she'll she'll come up if you see how our bottles are nicely smooth and bottled so when you're doing this you gotta you gotta get the bottle out inspect the bottle fill the bottle cork the bottle do our little pigtail on there and then the big patience is when you're dipping it in and out of those crock pots full of wax you're just sitting here waiting like you got to hurry up to wait you're waiting for all the wax to get dripped off until you flip her over and brand it but if you flip it over too early it starts to come back down yeah. so samuel just stick right behind me and just sit there and do none of that and talk to me blah 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 blah, blah. then right when it's ready boop just stick her thumb right in my go redo it. Oh. <laughs> now, the beauty is you can screw up the waxing 80 million times because you're not hurting the inside of the yeah. bottle. But I just sat there for two minutes holding a bottle chatting to you and she's just 
Boop. Difference, <laughs> screws my wax. <laughs> difference between a Broadway play and a motion picture. <laughs> On that note, Shane, Miriam, thank you so much for coming from Garrison Brothers. Uh, we we hope that we get to do something else with you in the Absolutely. future. Absolutely. Thank you for giving me two hours of audio that I get to sift through and try to <laughs> meld it down to something that is much more manageable for listeners. But we, we appreciate having you here. And, and where can the folks find Garrison Brothers? Uh, more on the, the social media and the interwebs and all that kind of uh, stuff. You can, you can find me, uh, Shane Merriam, on Facebook very easily. Uh, my title that was given to me by Dan is I am the Bourbon Provocateur. So you can find me on Instagram there. <laughs> that the, sounds dirty. It, uh, I think it has something to do with French Canadian. and it's, I don't know, but uh, he got me there. But we'll get into that on another day. Uh, so you can find me Instagram, Bourbon Provocateur. You know, please, uh, if you follow my adventures where I'm going all over America right now, um, please feel free to reach out because it'd be my absolute pleasure to come to your bar or just sit down with you and share bourbon, share a story. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create legendary stories. And uh, I don't think there's any better way than, you know, people getting off their phones and, and stop watching TV and stop watching poker at bars and just talk to your neighbor and say, have you ever had this bourbon before? What do you think of that? And start a conversation. And that's that's how you're going to start you know, amazing friendships and legendary stories. And let, let's get back to the uh, seven digit phone numbers and three quarters in our pockets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Garrison right. bros is the, uh, the yeah. Instagram handle. Um, yeah. And, Go ahead uh, and follow them too. And I gotta say, have you ever, has, has anyone ever told you before I let you go? And, and this is probably cause I'm a radio guy and a, a radio nerd, but has anyone ever told you, you sound like Scotty Farrell? I don't know who that is. But I'm going to play you some audio after we get off yeah. this, but you sound a lot like Scotty Farrell. I, I don't know who that is, but I do know that any single time anybody takes a picture of me at a whiskey festival, Dan immediately thinks that I look like a game show host and I'm about to play Let's Make a Deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, do I really look that evil and deceiving? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. No, but... You can find us at Dad's Drinking Bourbon on Instagram, Dad's Drinking Bourbon on Facebook, Bourbon Dads on Twitter. Find us on your favorite podcast provider, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Podknife, Spotify, iHeartRadio, just whatever app is your favorite. Go ahead and find us. Rate and review us. Leave an open and honest review just like we leave open and honest reviews about whiskey. We'd love for you to come hang, sit, talk with us, drink with us, come on the show, whatever the hell you want. When you are where, Zeke? Huh? <laughs> what city are we in? Music City. USA. <laughs> come find us. Cheers. Ciao.